0: Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles on another cold and rainy afternoon. What you're about to hear is an interview I did with Venerable Panyavaro. Venerable Panyavaro is the webmaster of BuddhaNet.net, the biggest and best Buddhist website on the internet. He is in Los Angeles, he'll be leaving Wednesday, which is tomorrow, and I had the opportunity of meeting him again at UCLA uh, and asked him if he would do an interview with me about his practice as a Buddhist, how he got involved with Buddhism, uh, especially about BuddhaNet and his new project, Bodhi Tree, a meditation retreat center in Australia. So what you're about to hear is an edited version of my interview with Venerable Panyavaro, the webmaster of BuddhaNet.net. So uh, when I found out uh, that Venerable Panyavaro was here, I asked him if he'd be willing to come and speak about his new project, but also about the Buddha net and how he became a Buddhist. Uh, Last week or two weeks ago, we saw each other at UCLA. Mm -hmm. Uh, Venerable Tanisaro Mm -hmm. or Tarnisaro Mm Bhikkhu was giving a talk uh, at UCLA on uh, the forest tradition of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And I didn't recognize you. And you came up to me and you said, you look familiar. And I said, really? And then uh, you said, have you ever been in Wollongong? And I said, yes, I was in Wollongong, Australia, 1998, at the World Fellowship of Buddhist Conference. And that's when I first met Venerable Panya Varro. Now, I'm working hard on pronouncing yeah. his name correctly, but, but Panya, you call yourself?
1: Panya is quite okay, too. Panya is okay, it's too. too much of a mouthful.
0: Well, it's, it's good practice, but you're right. Panya is okay?
1: Yeah, Panya is okay. Yep, Panya's
0: okay. And so it was then, I said, well, where are you staying in Los Angeles? He says, well, I'm staying at Dharma Vijaya Buddhist Vihara, which is just down the street on Crenshaw Boulevard. And I said, well, why don't I come and pick you up on Wednesday night, and you can come over here and then talk to the people that show up about yourself. And he kindly consented to talk about himself. So, uh, and we have some new people here, we have some old people here, we have some people in the middle here. So, a great little audience. Mm -hmm. And um, so, my first question would Mm be: you were in Australia. At some point, I imagine you probably weren't a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. What was it that turned you on to Buddhism? How old were you? Mm -hmm. And um, we we can start there. Okay.
1: Well, I'm 65 now. Okay. So, when I first came in contact, I was 20, and I was just a student. Oh. Okay. So, 65, what's that, what's the mass there? 45 or something, something like that.
0: 45 years ago. Okay.
1: And... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, was it a book? Did it was a book was in a, a library, book? yeah. It was. I walked into a library and dug out some old books. And amongst those books was the Dhammapada. Mm.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. So, that's a classic. Tera of Tex, isn't it? Well, some words of the Buddha, And that turned me on in as much as it was a conversion experience. Wow. Totally. I know people now have problems, you know, um, with doubt. But from that time, I never had any doubt. For me, that was the way. Now, why? Well, um, I usually give, when people ask you that, that's, that would be a a stock question. Yeah. Why? What turned you on? I would say, in order not to get too complicated, I would just say, oh, I'm I'm into the practice and people are often happy with that. But actually my real reason was that I had a strong appreciation of suffering.
0: Of suffering? Suffering. Mm. Uh,
1: Stress. Yeah. My background, my family background is Jewish. Okay. So that's, uh, that says a lot. I think Jewish people too have uh, an appreciation <laughs> of suffering. But anyway, so that uh, that addressed... Actually at the time, as a student, I was a communist. Well, this what I thought I was a communist. <laughs> I was not actually a party member, but, um, you know, that was an ideology that appealed to me as being socially just and all that. But... Um, But that, uh, as soon as I heard the the Four Noble Truths, Mm -hmm. the basic, the core teaching, that's it. Mm -hmm. And and I... Now, at that time in Australia, this happened to be a place called... Were
0: there any Buddhists in Australia at that time?
1: Well, there were Buddhist societies in the capital cities. Okay. Now, of course, they they came from the old Theosophical Societies. Mm Mm-hmm they were into eastern religions and philosophy rather than buddhism buddhism was a component of that um but there was uh some the first uh, grouping i connected with was the melbourne buddhist society but it was more of a talk shop i mean it was there was no practice going on it was People seemed to have problems with Christianity, a little, <laughs> you know, a certain reaction to that. So I drifted away, and then I moved over to Sydney later on. The same, only Buddhist societies were around at that time. There were no temples. This was would be in the early 60s. Okay. There was no temples. There was no monks in Australia. Hmm. You know, so 60 years, you know, 45 yeah. yeah. years ago, no monks, no temples. So, I was reading, and I did try to meditate, and uh, all I don't know why, but I seem to have connected with a sort of yogic practice of staring at candles, things like that. But eventually, I moved on into the 70s, and the first some of the first Buddhist monks, Theravada monks, came through into Sydney, and we found a, a temple in Chinatown, the only actual Buddhist temple we discovered was in Chinatown, a pure land temple by, run by a businessman.
0: Now, was this Chinatown in Sydney? In Sydney. In Sydney, Australia. Okay.
1: And the early Buddhist groupings were starting to form met at this Chinese temple know, run by a business, Chinese businessman. So we got to know each other. There was actually even a Zen group. The first uh, the, um, from uh, Sydney Zen Centre but I, uh, Aiken Roshi came and gave a talk there from the Diamond Sangha in Hawaii and various other monks were starting to filter in. And the first resident monk was a, an English monk called Prakantipala who was trained in Thailand and I connected with him. What I want to say too, when I first connected with Buddhism, I just read the teachings, you know, no teacher, I didn't know whether there was Theravada, Mahayana, Vajrayana, whatever yana you like. It was just the Buddhist teachings. And I, uh, okay, 30, 40 years later, I'm going back to more pre-sectarian Buddhism. I feel more an affinity for the very early teachings. Not that I want to put over any sense of a fundamental sort of um, um, stance, but more I see that the early teachings are, are not known and that's where I'm coming from now later on I, uh, I got involved with the Rakan and the Tibetan groupings that came Lama Yeshi Lama Zopa I, I worked with those uh, uh, those centres early Buddhist communities in Australia say the Theravada and the Tibetan groups and it was great Mm -hmm. later on in about 74 I went to India and uh, Mm -hmm. doing other things as one did at that time but uh, I connected I stayed at an ashram in Pondicherry Sri Aurobindo Ashram and there I heard about some Buddhist uh, meditation and I uh, went up, and went into Varanasi and the Burmese Vihara there and did a course, a 30 day course with Goenkaji, <laughs> Goenka, and a 10 day course with Goenka, and then with Robert Hover, who was an American um, teacher in the Ubakin tradition, slash now Goenka. Practice. So that was my first contact with actual Buddhist practice. And then I went on to Gaya as one does, and sat under the Bodhi tree after doing a 30-day retreat. It just happened that the it was the first Kalachakra Chakra um, initiation with the Dalai Lama. I just happened to be there, which was pretty mind-blowing, And I met up with the first teacher in the tradition and practice I do now, which was Manindraji. Which is the Mahasi side or the Fasana tradition from Burma. So I made that connection there. And uh, later on, he actually surprisingly came to Australia, didn't English And I also went ba- came over this side of the world, the US of A, <laughs> Barrie, Massachusetts. Yeah. I met actually met Joseph Goldstein at, at that first uh, Edward Guy in 74. And um, then later on, I um, I met up in Australia. I ordained first in in um, the early eighties in um, Sri Lanka.
0: And what what age were you when you uh, first ordained? I Dane? was Do about
1: ish. Fortyish.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I'm getting on. there. And wh-
0: well, uh, <laughs> what what was your what was the change? I mean you. you You found Buddhism in Australia, you went to India. Uh. But what made you want to go from lay to ordained?
1: Well, my first contact, my first reading the Dhammapada, my first impulse was to be a monk.
0: Mm.
1: And it always had been. But I got involved in relationships. I actually had a a, a relationship and I've had a son, Mm. Uh who's now nearly 30 more. So I followed through on that. So (laughs) I've had the lay life experience. I have a son helps me actually on, uh, on the buddha net he's a and, graphic artist
0: and is he a buddhist your son no
1: Because oh. i never felt i would you know yeah. impose anything no, he didn't find his own way in some ways i somewhat regret that i think i should have given him a little bit <laughs> more sort of guidance because he went quite you know <laughs> wild you know anyway that was his experience he's he sobered up very much well, i this he's not, he wouldn't listen to this but um, <laughs> I think actually well, we should give them a little bit more guidance. But I was inclined just to not impose any of my understandings or beliefs on another person. Anyway, then I um, was doing in in, in um, Sri Lanka. So after a year I left and went on to Thailand mm-hmm. and got higher ordination. And then after a year, I moved on to Burma, which I found my niche there and practiced intensively in the Mahasi Sairo, intensive Vipassana tradition, off and on, because you couldn't get long-term visas, five, six, seven years. And I always appreciate that practice over there. That's unreal. That is where my heart is. Anyway I went back to Australia in about Yeah. What
0: what 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 year did you get back to Australia?
1: Oh poor. I'm very difficult I'm very poor with chronology. Yeah. it all gets lost, you know. But vaguely it must have been about eighty eighty nine. Okay. Something like that.
0: Now BuddhaNet started in ninety two? Yeah. Was that your and were you into computers before BuddhaNet? Not at all.
1: Not at all. I had no, totally literate computer literate.
0: Wow! But so, what was the, what was your insight? Did you just think that the web was going to be no. it? That no like vision, no No, <laughs> you
1: know, no, no. People asked you that. Not yeah. at all. I set up a meditation group, Buddha Dharma Meditation Association, in Sydney. With the idea or the need to bring my teacher back into Australia, mm. which I did, that was my motivation. I wasn't I wasn't inclined to set myself up as a teacher, but I did bring my teacher over and run it as a meditation organization for a few years. And then, as it happened, uh, you, when you organize things, you have to put out material there, newsletters and, and then the first computers came in and you know, the first PCs the three eight sixes, and the rest of them you know IBM was used to call them and stuff like that and then my downfall was somebody gave me a modem <laughs> 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 Ooh, uh, With that
0: who, t- who taught you how to use a PC? Did you go to school for that?
1: No, no you no.
0: just
1: started fact, working with it. In fact, what I come to realise, okay, yeah. I'm essentially a meditator. Yeah. And the early machines were a bit clunky, and, and often they'd fall apart. And all we could afford was yamcharz, you know, machines that were which were sort of thrown together. And you spent half your time trying to fix them or sort them out the problems, you see. And I realised, even as a meditator, I, lo- I, I was losing my cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly,
1: a blue screen, I think, my God, you know. <laughs> I think, hang on, what's going on here, you know. I wasn't so you know, non reactive. Uh, so I thought that was a challenge, just itself, this beast, this machine in front of me. I'm going to be able to be with that and sort it out, out. I and mean, I essentially saw it as problem-solving I think that's what computing is isn't it well and what uh, what came out of that because I started ha- having the need to put out newsletters simple desktop publishing programs the, the modem was there and then I learnt about uh, VBSs, bulletin board systems so I set up the first bulletin board system, I think probably the only one in Australia. Uh, there was uh, a, um, a BBS over here, this way, Dharma NET, yes. um, I think a few others, but there wasn't so many around. This was the first bulletin board which became Buddha NET, we gave a name, with the help of my friends, because I didn't know anything about it. And naturally we drifted into the NET as it became popular. In about '92, I got some space in the University of Western Sydney, and I must admit I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and, uh, sl- and it was very early days. So I learnt by, as everybody did then, hand cutting. You know, HTML, very simple stuff.
0: Now, yeah. did you do your own HTML?
1: Oh, yeah. But, okay. I mean, you just look at other people's... Okay. You, you know, that's you'd look at other web and you'd work it out, you know. And it was a time before there was frames and even colors and that. So it was very simple. And I mean, they didn't you know, have any
0: programs to do that for you at that time? No, there was
1: right. no editing tool. Yeah. So it wasn't... Only fairly recently I got into using the edi- uh, an editing tool.
0: Okay. Because the early ed-
1: editing software was quite... Uh, was inexact. You'd have to know enough HTML to go to fix up the problems.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Especially things like front page. Microsoft, like that. <coughs> but um, actually, I did gravitate to Microsoft. So I must uh, shamefully say. In that, in '95, um, I was part of the Microsoft '95 Windows. When they had a uh, a uh, bulletin board component on Microsoft 95, you remember, yeah. and I learnt the their soft their uh, coding, and we had <laughs> I should be telling this Microsoft um, bulletin board on the on the launch of 95. Mm. So that was one interesting thing, and we were non-commercial. I don't know how they fitted us in, but we, okay. and later on too, I actually had a space on a- AOL. Uh, for a couple of years but we always had our own website and we essentially have been content creators and well, that's just uh, contact creators no content content creators. creating content
0: yes so um, it's other websites like original content you yeah put together.
1: or using other people yeah. uh, people who contribute content that's yeah. what essentially buddha net has been for instance our uh, Edu- uh,
0: Buddhist
1: studies yes. is uh, we've got a section on primary and secondary Buddhist studies, and nobody else was, I, I saw, was preparing material on that level, or very little of it. Mm-hmm. So there was a need there, so a niche there. Yeah. So I developed that. At the m- at currently, I'm going to Taiwan next month, and there's a group there who are translating our Buddhist studies schools, primary and secondary level, into Chinese. Mm. So, I mean, BuddhaNet just grew. Yeah. So there was no grand vision. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just happened. You know? um, perhaps it, there was a challenge there for me. And then I saw the feedback I got yeah. was, you know. Now, I came across Buddhism through books, through libraries. People I'm meeting people now and saying, well, I was on the net. Well, I was on Buddha net. Yeah. That was my first contact. And now I'm meditating and studying, you know, following it through. So while it's been quite a demanding, uh, on my time and effort, because at one point in Australia, I have actually more inclined to do, being a, at heart to do gooder hmm. And people approaching me as a monk, for that to help with that problem, yeah. so I, uh, when I returned to Australia, I decided, well, you know, I'm not, I've got no professional skills, so I did some training as a counsellor,
0: hmm.
1: and I, and especially grief counselling, and I was, re- I, so I started to work in hospices, and I had BuddhaNet going, I was teaching. Uh, um, Classes and schools mm-hmm. and doing meditation.
0: And where were you staying at I this point? I was in point? Sydney, but were you in a in, a in a, in a in a house?
1: In a house. I was paying rent on a house you were in rent. Sydney. And right.
0: did that become also a meditation center? It People was came quite
1: small. It was a small terrace house in the a city. Okay. So I was keeping that running plus running BuddhaNet plus and I was also doing telephone counseling. Wow. For with a group called Grecopol, which I rather enjoyed because. I wasn't being considered to be a monk. I <laughs> was with people who were, you know, which is a bit of a freedom too when you're a monk. Yeah. Because as you'd appreciate because yeah. well, uh, that... Uh, it's just a voice on the other end of the phone. Yeah, you're just yeah. another person. Is great. It's great. Yeah. A, it's a relief. Yeah. Because the more people put you up on pedestals. You know, yeah. And also if you put on a pedestal, people are looking for your flaws too. <laughs> so you've got to be... Uh, <laughs> You've got to behave yourself <laughs> in public <laughs> anyway. Truth, yeah. So, anyway, that was my. And then, BuddhaNet just grew and grew. And I more or less. Um, while I consider myself just a meditator, and that's my core business. Yeah. So, um, we have moved BuddhaNet. Our server's still in Sydney. But we're working on BuddhaNet.
0: Do you own your own server?
1: Yes, a box. A box. Uh, yeah. And we look after our own server uh, with a volunteer. Okay.
0: Um, and how many hits do you get a day?
1: Well, it's, it's between <laughs> seven and seven hundred to 800,000 hits per day. Wow. Yeah. A lot of them are coming from the States, actually, probably roughly two-thirds from the States. Mm-hmm. and Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, We have now a team, if you like, not that we sit around as a team, but we've got David Basson, who looks after our books. We've got now, we're working currently on a database, first, uh, which will be up and running within a month, for our World Buddhist Directory, Mm. which we've also published hard copy recently, a couple of years ago now. The database... Uh, for uh, and so we've got, a, we've got a chap doing that, but we're paying him necessarily with expertise, and we're also building a database for an electronic Buddhist library worldwide, e-library. So it would be a repository of Buddhist content, texts, um, artwork, audio, mm. and video clips. So that's another. We've got the back end. We've, we've, we've got the uh, database up and running. What uh, we need to collect more material. That's one thing we do we need. Buddhist organisations to make the contribution of their content. Yeah. It's not just in BuddhaNet. We'll probably put it on, on another web on another website, uh, so that it'll could be this material can be freely downloaded. Okay. That's our current project. Okay. Two databases. Um, so that and what i if i've got a vision or just an idea or what i'd like to see would be a multimedia center where we're developing high quality buddhist multimedia because the kids nowadays they're not going to look at just text and you know low level sort of graphics they're one of the you know they really buzzy heart you know quality yeah. So there's a need there in the Buddhist world for Buddhist content, high-quality Buddhist multimedia content. So I'd like to put, step that up a bit in it or bring in other organizations. It would require substantial resources as you appreciate because when you start to talk about multimedia, you're talking about you know, yeah, you know, high-end material. So I even think there is a, a commercial need there. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe that's the only way it will happen mm-hmm. uh, for I call the just media. Anyway, okay, that's one thing that I'd hope to happen. That's new property. With we're in the process of purchasing at the moment, ninety-five acres.
0: And how did you find the property? Well, Was we it? first
1: we were offered part of that property. Wow. Uh, mm, and uh, there's a house, two-bedroom house and a studio and some sheds. And we're renting currently renting them. And part of the 70 acres we were given. But when we looked at the legals, you know, subdividing it and sharing all this thing, it was just too complicated. And uh, also this person who was offering us part of his land wanted to build as well. And we went to, when we looked at the Development application that we, to do the building, and that we we couldn't both do build on the same property as limitations. So we turned around and said, "Okay, we'll try and buy it off you." And we have, and that's what we're in the process looking for. Four hundred thousand <coughs> Australian dollars. So we, we're looking to get a mortgage. <laughs> Here we go again, you know. So what? So what else can you do, you know? Um, but we hope to have a net there. Um, we've already approached the council, so we can... It's a, it's a viable project. What we want to do is set up a monastery. That is a monastery, well, a place for monks and nuns, nuns that could be autonomous. Mm-hmm. We have... There's just myself and another monk, and a, a nun who is in the Burmese tradition, Australian nun who... who uh, who's Been six years in Dane and she's in the same meditation division she's going to move in in a month or so Mm -hmm. and we've got a few lay people there I've started we've been one year there we've been running retreats Mm -hmm. we did our first ten day retreat we had (laughs) fifteen people ten, fifteen people that's good we can accommodate um, twenty people so we're up and away we're just looking for supports funding like everybody else like I guess everybody else
0: are. do you do you see your center as becoming a training center for other monks
1: yes you yes, do definitely okay. especially western monks okay and um, who are into the deeper practice so mm-hmm. we would set up um, at the moment we have one kuti there a meditation cabin it's got a solar power mm-hmm. and a compost toilet out from there isolated Uh, so the the monks the nuns traditionally have a a a range retreat three months range retreat last range retreat I spent my three months in the kuti Uh, that's all I did meditated for three months now I've been very busy and I would confess for the first Months, my mind was so busy and I was so exhausted I needed to sleep almost 10 hours a day but slowly slowly I recovered and I don't know what was to say bliss <laughs> but I, I didn't want to leave <laughs> I would have had to be dragged out but you know there it is we've got to set up the center and keep working so, that's what we intend to do. And what's missing uh, in the meditation cultures in the West, in all the traditions, is where you can do long-term practice, mm-hmm. intensive practice, and be supported doing that. Yeah. In Barrie, Massachusetts, yes, you can do the Falls Retreat, the Three month Retreat. That's true. That would be ex- that's the only place I know. Other than, <laughs> whereas in Asia, you can go to, say, Burma, Thailand, Sri Lanka, these places I know and you can sit there and practice and get full support. So that's what I want to set up, both for the monastics and the lay people. So, Buddha naturally, the monastery, monks and nuns, but also a retreat center for lay people.
0: Mm -hmm. And we were talking earlier today about perhaps a a residential center for perhaps. Mm. Some for people who retired mm. have more time, uh, who find practice to be attractive could come and stay?
1: Yes, well I say I'm sixty five and love a lot of people in my generation who were pioneers in the Buddhism and however they connected with it. Um, a re- a retirement age. And uh, there is either whether we can do it on the property later on when we can subdivide some of our land, but we'd like to set a, a Buddhist retirement village. Uh, there's people out there who wouldn't want to become, perhaps for family reasons, have that commitment to, to be ordained and they still have involvement the lay life with family and whatever but we want to come into a Buddhist culture Buddhist uh, because what we want to set up essentially is a meditation
0: community community yeah.
1: see now how that's going to pan out I mean I haven't got you know mm-hmm. a formula this is going to be like <laughs> this or that I'm going with the flow of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Good. Well, our time has ended. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you very much. Mm -hmm. It's been just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. That was my interview with Venerable Panyavaro, the webmaster of BuddhaNet.net. If you haven't been there yet, please visit BuddhaNet.net. I think you'll find it very useful and very interesting. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my website, kusala.info, k-u-s-a-l-a dot info, and of course my Buddhist website, urbandharma.org. Well, until next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.